I've definitely been in a pretty bad place once or twice from getting copying ne- negative feedback from maybe a set or a song or something like that. But that's just life. Like you can't you can't just go through and think that everything's um, going to be okay and like you're never going to get bad feedback in your life. Like that's just silly to think that. So I think um, if you can push through that, then it's definite definitely one of the life lessons that you need to do. And um, yeah. It'd make you better off, definitely. What's up, producers? I'm Sam Matler, and you're listening to the EDM Podcast, a show where I talk to successful artists and people in the industry. Today's episode is with Zach Waters, uh, but before I talk about that, I sent out an email about a week ago uh, talking about how I was giving up coffee and a lot of you asked for updates so here's my update uh day five best decision i've made in my life um that's an exaggeration but it has been a good decision i have a ton of energy it is only day five so maybe this is just like a maybe i'm just lucky maybe i'll go downhill uh day six and seven like maybe tomorrow i'll be terrible but um so far it's been great Uh, it hasn't been too hard the first few days sucked but if you're if you drink a lot of coffee and you're kind of getting to that stage where it doesn't do anything for you, then I would definitely recommend it based on my experience so far. So that's my update. Um, it's going well. Anyway, as I said, uh, today's episode, episode 32, is with Zach Waters. Zach is a Melbourne-based producer. He's 19 years old, super young, and he's been supported by you know a ton of artists, Will Sparks, Laidback Luke, Gareth Emery, and many others. Um, his sound is truly one of a kind, and he's well-known as being the pioneer of a genre called Maltrance. But he doesn't confine himself to one genre, and in this interview, we talk about why. We also talk about a ton of other stuff, including his latest release, Silent Cartographer, on Who's Afraid of 138 and how it came about, how Zach samples other music, what's in his studio, the importance of listening to a wide range of music, and a lot more. Uh, So I hope you enjoy this interview. I certainly did. And without further ado, here is Zach Waters. This episode is brought to you by EDM Foundations. EDM Foundations is my course for new producers, those who've been producing for under 12 months or even those who've just started. The whole idea of the EDM Foundations course is that you learn the fundamentals of music production by actually doing and not just learning the theoretical stuff. The course consists of over 12 hours worth of streamable video where I walk you through the creation of three songs and give you advice and tips for working on your own original alongside them. We've had over 500 people sign up for this course. Many of them have had great results. If you want to learn more about the course, head over to edmfoundations.com. Welcome back everyone to the EDM podcast today. I'm with Zach Waters. Zach, how's it going? Hi Sam, how are you? I'm well mate, how are you? Yeah, pretty good. Pretty good. Just uh, chilling out in my studio right now. Love it, love it. So, um, you've you've got a pretty interesting background. I want you to tell us about that. What got you into music, and how have you got to where you are today? 
Well, it's such a it's such a broad question, but I think I've 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 been able to narrow it down over all the times I've been asked, like to <laughs> to like a couple of specific moments. Cool. Um, I think like I used to live about an hour away from school, so um, every morning in the car with my father, who worked not too far from uh, where I was going to school. Um, we would just listen to music and he had like a six stack CD player in his car and we just used to cycle through like six, um, six CDs or whatever was on. Like, I think we had like Scissor Sisters, Cake, um, Pearl Jam, uh, Live, like a lot of rock, a lot of metal, um, but also a lot of like, uh, really experimental stuff, like a lot of old Prodigy, uh, Pendulum, like really cool stuff. So my dad really influenced me in that in terms of um like a massive variety of different music um so that was that was one of the things that really got me into music and got me fascinated into how it was made and everything and um the other time i guess was around 2010 um i was heavily into like hardcore music and post hardcore so bands like parkway drive and yeah. amity affliction and all that sort of stuff and um and i really took a likening to that sort of aggression that that music had um and while i was playing guitar i think that was definitely one of the great tools that helped me um accelerate in my music production knowing how to play an instrument so for any producers out there listening i definitely recommend if you're starting learn an instrument at the same time because it'll just it's a definite catalyst so uh pick up a guitar play piano and it will help you a uh, a lot more um but yeah came from hardcore and the only the only sort of comparison i found in that in dance music was um hard style and like mm-hmm. happy hardcore and all that sort of stuff so i got heavily into um there was a compilation cd called skits mix skits mix 35 i remember it was and it's just a compilation of all these hardcore tracks that um that was uh or oh, happy hardcore that um that had a lot of energy and that same energy that i was listening in uh into hardcore for so um i was completely captivated by all of that music and decided yeah i want to i want to give this a crack like i wonder how they make these sounds and all that sort of stuff so a couple of my friends from school were doing it and um yeah i really just got into it uh through listening to that album and then a couple of months down the track uh the annual 2011 came out and that freaking blew my mind like that was that was like dance music in a nutshell for me, like Avicii, Afrojack, all those guys. And I was like, wow, what is this? Like a complete different door opened for me. So I was, um, yeah, I was right into it from the get go then. That's awesome. And you mentioned, um, you know, you listen to a wide, uh, wide range of music. Do you think it's important that producers do that? Cause I know that it's easy uh, for a lot of people to get stuck in their, their little bubble and only oh, listen definitely. to one type of music. Definitely. I, um, I do my best to sort of distance myself from dance music altogether. So, Mm. um, it's very rare that I would listen to, um, the stuff that I make like Psytrance and all that sort of stuff. I mean, I love, I love making and listening to Psytrance, but it's not something that I would listen to over maybe like techno or deep house or something like that. Whereas, yeah, that might be stuff that I don't really make, but it's something that I'm intrigued by and I can take reference from that rather than, taking reference from something that I'm sort of striving to create. Mm. So it's cool for you to reference 
other tracks that are similar to yours but i think a lot of producers get into the habit and get stuck when they start referencing too hard and they go yeah i want to be exactly like these people and then they've got no point of difference because what they're making is exactly the same as what everyone else is making yeah no that makes a lot of sense um you know you mentioned psytrance and and you haven't always made psytrance like no i haven't i haven't i've i've been very lucky i think um i've sort of just uh, been in the moment with what I'm making and um, I think a lot of people appreciate the fact that um, I'm known for being quite versatile and I've started by making sort of Melbourne Bounce and then Psytrance and Big Room and I've even done a house track, um, Trance, like 138, uh, Uplifting, all that sort of stuff and um, I think whatever people sort of, maybe they don't know what to expect next but it's definitely um, cool to not get a lot of backlash from people when when I might release a, like a techno track next or something like that. Like mm. I think that I think they'd receive it quite well. Yeah, that's that's good because I know um, quite a few. It tends to be the newer producers, but they're kind of afraid to branch out because yeah, they feel yeah. like the audience won't you know won't be that receptive to it. Um, I mean, what what would you say to them? You know, those um, people. Well, I guess it depends who you're making music for. Like, are you making music for yourself or are you making music for other people? And I can't be happy making music for other people. And I learned that the hard way. I saw, I got into a habit of making stuff and I was like, oh, I wonder if people like this, blah, 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 blah. And then I came to a realisation that, hang on, I'm not enjoying myself doing this. I need to go back to the drawing board and, and start over and think, and re refined or sort of reinstate why I started doing this and, um, and what I need to do from here and what I need to make. And I just found out that making what makes me happy makes other people happy and it all works in a circle like that. So there's no point in me sort of hating what I'm making. Mm, right, for sure. Um, and and on that note, you know, you've just released a song on Who's Afraid of 1 Through 8 uh, called Silent Cartographer. I, I feel like, I'm not sure, but I used to play Halo. I feel like it's from that. It is. It, it is. is a direct reference to the second level of Halo. Yeah, there you um, go. <laughs> yeah, it's, it was a when I um, when I played as a kid, it completely blew my mind. Like that was such a revolutionary game for me. So it was cool. Yeah. It's cool to pay homage to that um, that game for sure. And I feel like the um, the theme song, uh, like as soon as I heard the sample that I used in the track, uh, I immediately thought of the theme song from Halo. So that's where mm. I got the that's where I got the idea. Yeah, I want to dive into that track a bit, um, the production process specifically. Like, how did that track come about? Um, I was on holiday in uh, in Japan, actually, and um, and I was skiing, and so I didn't have much time to make music. And I think sometimes that's when I make the best music is when I'm under pressure to write music or I don't have, like, a have got a time limit where I can make music. And um, we were in quite a small place, so I was sharing a room with a couple of people and didn't really want to stay up late to make music because I knew I'd have to be up early the other the next morning and I didn't want to wake the guys up. So um, I was sort of – I had a window to make music and when you do that, you pressure yourself into, okay, I've got to find the right samples. I've got to, like, focus, like, complete focus mm. for a couple of hours. And I found, I found a sample pack that uh, had the vocal in it, had the drums in it, had the cello in it, and I was like, cool, I'm going to make a track out of this and see where it goes. Um and then while I was making, I was like, "Oh, this will this will work with that," and then this will work. And I laid all the drums down, um, put 
put the bass in, put the kick drums in, and um, it sort of all worked. I had the first the first version out within about four hours, so it was like a really rapid process. And then um, the next sort of twenty percent, thirty percent of the track was done over the next couple of days. And once I got back from Japan, it was pretty much done. Just needed a mix. Mm, that's fantastic, and I think that's a, a crucial point because um, I'm a big proponent of you know, those focused sessions where you are under a little bit of pressure. Um, I always perform well in that situation, but I, I think a lot of artists kind of feel like that kills creativity. Mistakenly. It can, it can. It yeah. can. Um, I think uh, it's completely subjective, like what works yeah. and what doesn't work. Like it's so individual to every producer. Um, like I know producers that sit in the studio for, I mean, I um, I remember seeing a, a, a post that, um, Porter Robertson worked on language for 72 days, 72 days on their one project. Wow. So like uh, people can linger on tracks for ages, but I think that my, my best tracks are made within sort of six or seven hours. Mm. And, um, yeah, it's, just, it's different for everyone. My housemate would spend 30, 30 hours on a track and, um, and he's only halfway finished. I mean, people just work at different rates sometimes or, um, yeah, it's, it's completely subjective. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Um, so, so it's interesting that you made a side trance track. I feel like, and I could be wrong on this, but I feel like it's kind of making a comeback. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think it's, it's, it's definitely always been around. Um, yeah. but guys like Vinnie Vici and coming soon, just make it that little more commercial so that it involves a whole different demographic of people, which mm-hmm. makes it feel a lot bigger. Um, which is cool. Like it's it's something that I'm really passionate about. I really love the energy of Psytrance. Like it directly sort of correlates to hardcore music, and um, I want to definitely incorporate some of that hardcore music into my live performance um, when I play that side. So uh, in the future, I'll definitely be playing guitar or something like that when I'm um, when I'm DJing. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, size size getting really big, and it's it's gotten to a point now where. Um, people like Vinnie Vici, a household name. I mean, I'm playing, I'm supporting Vinnie Vici on, on Thursday at a, at a club called Uptown yep. in Melbourne. And um, typically it's sort of a house club, but all of like the amount of people attending on the event and all the support and all the people coming, it's absolutely insane to see that like what was like super underground and super niche is mm-hmm. now like really mainstream. You've got thousands of people buying tickets for these events yeah that's awesome and i like um especially with those guys like the production quality is just insane yeah amazing so the fact in the mainstream is is cool to see uh yeah for sure. i think i think um due to the fact that a lot of side producers mix and master their own tracks it gives that um that really unique feel to all of their music so mm. like you can pick a an Asterix track from a Ace Ventura track or a Coming Soon track because you know the different samples and the different the ways they process it. Like, I guess you can sit there and nitpick it all day as a producer, but like, to, for the people listening, they can they can even distinguish the difference. Who might not be producers, they mm-hmm. they can automatically tell. Yeah, absolutely. Do you think there's uh, like a there's certain difficulties in Psytrance? that aren't there and say maltrance or the, the big room stuff you've made? Um, I think it's, it's all very different. Um, I find it a lot easier to make side than I do um, any of that sort of like trance 2.0 or maltrance sort of stuff. Um, just in the fact that it's a lot more 
unconventional in the structure. You don't have to follow, mm. like there's no rules to follow. I can start a track with an intro. I can start a track with a beat. I can start a track with some weird effects or something like that. There's no, you're not confined to any sort of conventional structure. So that immediately gives you the flexibility to create whatever you really want to in the space of however long you want to. So you can make a side trance track that goes for 12 minutes and nobody about no. But as soon as you make a, a big room trance track that goes for 12 minutes, you're like, oh, hang on, this is in 2002. We're going to have to chop that in <laughs> half. So, yeah, I think it's I think it's great to have that flexibility making sci and that, that's what makes it a lot easier for me to make. Interesting. Interesting. Because I've, I've talked to some people who say it's daunting not having that kind of uh, framework. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 intriguing. That that that's really that's really interesting. See, I I see that as an opportunity to be um, to have a lot of creative freedom. Mm-hmm. Um, I hate feeling confined to a four four time signature and like I mean, a four four is pretty much all I know. Um, yeah. I couldn't make something in three four, five four, or anything like that. That would trip me out. But <laughs> I mean, like. Straying from anything within the realm of 126 BPM to 132 BPM, um, when you can really push the boundaries at 138, and you can slow the tempo and quicken it and do all the like half speed, it. it's crazy. Mm-hmm. And the amount of stuff that people do in side tracks, where I'll listen to it and I'll go, "How the hell did they do that? Like yeah, that is yeah. unbelievable the way that they did that." And like you just think they may, may have been stuffing around with a plugin for hours, and they just stumbled across like this one effect where they're like wow that's going to work for that one thing and it's like wow these guys must put absolute hours into their tracks right yeah what are some examples of of those things that you've heard because i know Um, people are always looking for more of those tracks uh i'd have to say there's a fair few coming soon tracks where i go um like that's incredible how they've done that. I think it's it's mainly based on what I hear from looping vocals, like a vocal mm. chop, and then speeding it up so that it becomes like a, a like a, a synth sound, um, and then modulating that so it sounds like a complete sample, like a complete sound, yeah, and then using yeah. that as a synth to play over the top of the track, like like they did in. Um, I think it was Swedish House Mafia One, where they oh, use a kick drum, yeah. yeah. And um, it's it's very similar in the way they do with that with Psy, but they'll do it with sort of any instrument they can find, or like any mm-hmm. weird, quirky little thing, and they'll just transform it into this really like incredible, unique sound. So that's something that I'm trying to wrap my head around at the moment. Right, right, for sure. That's a cool track. Um, one thing that's characteristic of all your music, uh, especially the older stuff, is that it sounds, it just sounds massive. You know, it's like this big festival track. Um, and a lot of producers struggle with that uh, and it, for many different reasons. What advice would you give to them? Um, hmm. it's, it's, it's difficult to say, like to nail it down to one thing, but yeah. I think I've found that my strength lies in sampling and uh, making the most of, sounds that are already existing and using them in your own songs and putting your unique um, sort of tone or twist on it so that um, not that it's unrecognizable, but it, it flows well in your track as well. Mm. So um, I remember there uh, a track that I made called loose cannon. It was like the first sort of trancey track that I pretty much ever made. And um, I remember I got the baseline from 
an old Umut Ozcan track called The Cube. Mm-hmm. And there's this there's this section where it's just kick and bass. And I remember hearing that for the first time. I was like, that is incredibly powerful. And it was only until later when I was making the track and I was like, I really need a bass line like that. And then I realized that I could have just sampled it from the original track. So I went back to that original track, um, highlighted the area where there's just kicking that bass line and no other effects or anything like that, chopped it out, changed the pitch a couple of times, put a redux on it to make it a little crunchier, um, brought out the highs a bit, did all that sort of stuff just to make it that more, that bit more individual. And then, yeah, it ended up really working well. So, um, yeah, layering sounds that are your own with others that pre-exist. Um, I wouldn't be afraid to use samples, definitely. Like that's that constitutes about uh, 50%, 60% of my track all the time is yeah, samples. Yeah, that's awesome. But I, I know some people are afraid to use samples because they feel like they're concerned about the legality of it. Um, I think it's a, it's a massive gray area. Um, yeah, of course. If it's blatantly obvious, I just avoid it altogether. Like, don't rip out whole chord structures or melodies. Um, definitely don't follow melodies. That's a big no. Yeah, but yeah. I think there's a lot of um, a lot of law in regard to freedom with um, copying chords. So, obviously, four chord melodies you can't copyright because there's it's like throughout history they're just yeah. all the freaking same. Like, yeah, one, four, five. Yeah, one, yeah. yeah, exactly. So. Um, I think in terms of that, not a problem. If it's like, if it's 20th of a second, little bass shot or something like that, just change it, just change it so that it's unique. And you're just using that as a template to feed, um, your creativity. So like, if you don't know how to create that sound, just sample the sound and then create your own sort of take on it. Yeah, no, for sure. I, I think, um, one question leading on from that. Like a lot of your tracks are, uh, they sound really simple. Like in in the drop, I think it was your, I think it was a Faces remix. Yep. Um, yep. I feel like a lot of of artists feel like they have to add more to make it sound huge. Yeah. Really well, I it's guess kind of the opposite. Yeah, I think um, for a lot of producers trying to make their tracks sound huge, like there's guys like Dyro and stuff like that, that have heaps of elements in their tracks yeah, yeah. and they sound freaking massive. But I think that's down to the fact that he probably would have been mixing in his studio for 10 years and he knows exactly what everything sounds like and how to put it together. And a lot of beginner guys, um, who put way too much stuff in their tracks, it just sounds really muddy and messy. And I think it's just down to experience when it comes to that. So um, I mean, I've only been producing for six years compared to all these guys that are producing for like some of it, even which like 15, 20 years. Mm-hmm. So like, I, I just know that I can't, I don't have that experience. So by, um, by going by the old saying, less is more, I think I feel like, um, I can get a better result. Yeah, no, for sure. So you would encourage new producers to, to focus on that? Yeah. Less is more. Definitely make the most, make the most of as. Uh, as little tracks as you can so as little channels i think my track no quarter was about 19 channels so hmm. um yeah confine yourself don't don't be afraid to like yeah sometimes you need to go sort of i mean i've just finished a track remix that was over 100 channels and wow. um a lot of those were just individual effect channels i used yeah, to group yeah. all of my effects onto one channel and that was probably not in hindsight the right way to do things like um I wrote a Psytrance track. I think the first one I ever released, it was called Life and Death. 
and I remember putting the effects, the drums, and the synth sounds all on one channel with all the same effects, and uh-huh. it just sounded really weird because everything, like, was sounding the same. Yeah. So, like, uh, if I have my time again to go back and change that, then I would obviously segregate them all into different channels. Right, but, um, yeah. but uh, yeah, the end result was cool, and I, I really enjoyed making that song. So, um, yeah, I was, I was quite proud of it at the time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, in your Faces remix, this is kind of a self-interested question, and, and someone else asked it. Um, the the bass, I mean, the low end comes from the kick, but there's like a, a bass sound in there that plays on the offbeat. What's yeah. that made from? That is layered uh, four or five different samples, like percussion stabs. Um, I can't remember what pack it's from, but it's probably from like some sort of vengeance pack or a minimal pack. Um, but basically what it is is they're all tonal. So um, you find the pitch of the sample. Um, you might need to go up a few octaves to find like uh, to get a better um, sort of perception of that. Like I know I, tr- I struggle a lot if I'm listening to uh, bass lines sometimes and I'm like, is that in the right key? So I just put it up a couple of octaves and and uh, it registers a lot easier. So I just um, put them all up a couple of octaves, found the right found the right key for them to be, and then transposed them all back down. So they made that sort of plucky, really stabby sound. Um, but the actual baseline um, idea was sampled from an Elan Bluestone track. I can't remember what it was called. I think it's Atlantis, where oh, yeah, there's yeah. it's actually it's got that really um, knocky sound there um, initially, anyway. And then I just um, use his model of the baseline to make my own in, um, I think I use Spire and yep. um, Kick, the uh, plugin from Sonic Academy. So is that all you use for kicks? Because your kicks are amazing, like every single track. Um, I, th- I use a lot of, uh, like I fuse a lot of kicks, so I'll mm-hmm. sample a lot of them and then change my own top end over to match the bass and all that sort of stuff. Um, I think Henry Fong did a really good tutorial on doing that. Um a, about about 12 months ago cool. uh, so yeah and yeah so head over to his page and he'll probably have it up somewhere but that really helped me as well because it's, it's um i'm a very visual learner and he explains it really well so yeah head over to his page awesome i'll link that in the show notes awesome. um you know your music and we've talked about this a little bit you branching out to psytrance and just making what you want basically um a lot of your music is genre defying and you've been, I'm pretty sure you've been dubbed as, you know, the pioneer or one of the pe- pioneers of Maltrance. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't, <laughs> I, it's weird for me to sort of claim that. <laughs> yeah. To claim that. I, I mean, um, there's been a lot of resentment from, for that. Really? Um, yeah. Like from the whole trans community, they're very, very precious, very loyal. Um, they oh, love, of course, yeah. they love what was there from the start and they don't really want much uh changed about it which uh, which i agree with i i can completely understand that um but being a like a 19 year old producer (laughs) who's making something that's a little different and a little left to center and giving it a name like it um i think inspired a lot of young producers to do the same thing which is cool Mm -hmm. so um i don't regret doing it at all uh i mean i did get a bit of backlash for that but that's that's just a lesson that like a life lesson that i um had to endure and it definitely made me better off as a result yeah i think that's kind of just the trance community though 
Like, yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> they are kind of like. That. I mean, they're they're never they're never ever going to be hundred percent happy with what you're doing. No, so no, no. that's okay. I I get that. <laughs> Music's all, all music is subjective, and yeah, yeah, that's fine. Of course. So so do you think though that uh, do you think it's important that producers should poke the box a little bit more and experiment? And I know this is this might sound like the old guy saying "get off my lawn," but I, I think it is easy to. I mean, I go on SoundCloud and I listen through the, you know, the songs and apart from the odd one and 20, like it doesn't seem to be that much. No, there's, 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 there's not much at all, but it's those one or two comments that can um, really shake you up. Um, Like I, before I was making trance, I never used to get those comments and like you you get, you get used to receiving a lot of positive feedback and a lot of positive reinforcement Mm. that when, when you get brought back to reality by a comment that says, uh, this is like, this is really shit. Like you should quit or something like that. It's like, wow. Like someone actually thinks that, like, Mm. I, I feel like I have an obligation to correct them and say like, no, this is what the majority of people think. So you're wrong, but they're not wrong yeah. in their mind. They're right. So like, who are you to say that they're wrong? If you get me. So like that's, but that's what's so cool about music is that two people can share a different opinion. Yeah, of course. Uh, I know. Um, I mean, a lot of people have come to me and said, Oh, you know, I'm thinking of giving up music because of what this person said. And like I, I don't completely understand that, but I kind of get it. Yeah, I, I, I've, I've yeah. definitely been in a pretty bad place once or twice from getting copying ne- negative feedback from maybe a set or a song or something like that. But um, that's just that's just life. Like right, you yeah. can't you can't just go through and think that everything's um, going to be okay and like you're never going to get bad feedback in your life. Like that's just silly to think that. So mm. I think. Um, if you can overcome that and um and yeah that's 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 definitely around the time when i went back to the drawing board and said okay i need to make what i like rather than trying to please these people mm-hmm. so yeah that that if if you can push through that then it's definite definitely one of the life lessons that you need to do and um yeah it, it'd make you better off definitely i think when you're making music for yourself first it doesn't matter as much what other people are saying because if yeah. you're if you're making music for other people you know, your satisfaction is reliant on... On their satisfaction. On their satisfaction. Yeah. So that makes yeah. a ton of sense. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, cool. Well, a few more questions. The, f- the first thing I want to ask is, what's the biggest challenge you've faced so far in your career as an artist? Um, I think... Hmm, it's a bit hard to say. I think um, school was was definitely... Um, a hard thing for me to overcome. Like I remember um, a friend of mine put Ableton on my computer um, in year 10 and uh, what I was making then was absolute horseshit. Like it was horrible, mm-hmm. um, which I, th- I thought it was cool because I was making sounds and like the sounds <laughs> were sounding great and I was like making beats. Like I'd never, never done that before in my yeah, life. Yeah. Um, but like compared to a lot of other guys in school who were, who'd been DJing for like three or four years, they just, it, it felt like, um, I think they felt a little threatened or like I was trying to copy them and, mm. um, and their, um, their sort of right to the throne was being taken away from them. Um, there was a lot of sort of, um, 
tongue in cheek, uh, not hate and resentment, but it was a lot of competition. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I found it, uh, quite difficult to deal with that. I mean, I've, I, um, I found it a little difficult to fit in, uh, at school, but like, I'm not going to, um, I'm not going to blame that for the fact that I um, do it. was just seeking approval the whole time. So mm-hmm. once I realized that I was seeking approval, I um, just told myself to make what I liked making and, and that's when things started to improve. So um, yeah, that was, that was definitely one of the biggest challenges. Um, I think another big challenge was I remember playing at Pasha um, in Sydney and it was probably my, I think it was my first headline set there. And, um, and it was what was labeled as a trance set. And I played what I thought was trance. Mm. Uh, but a lot of people who came had a different opinion. And uh, I got a lot of uh, negative feedback online, uh, which really affected me. But that's, that's another time when I figured out that I need to start making more music for myself and not for these guys. So it was, um, yeah, that was another, another big challenge. Yeah, I think that's... Um- <laughs> The first one especially is, is quite common and it's super hard to deal with. Yeah, yeah. Especially yeah, not getting is, respect from your peers. Yeah, that's that's really hard. It's not getting the support that um, that you long for, really. I mean, there's there was instances where I got amazing support and I would have made a really good track and they'd all say, yeah, this is freaking awesome. Like, well done, man. And I'd feel so motivated to write another one and then mm-hmm. – um, maybe people who you're not friends with might say like, oh, this is shit, like you should stop and you just feel like, fuck, like yeah, yeah. I just really want to impress all these people but really I just, yeah, ended up trying to impress myself which is good. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, right, a few quick questions. What's, no what's your studio look like? What's in there? Uh, I am currently facing a 32-inch TV uh, which I plug an HDMI cord into into my laptop, so yep. I've got like a I don't know it's sort of it's sort of like a computer monitor hack, I guess. You don't pay the money that you would for like a lightning a Thunderbolt display. Yeah, they're bloody. But expensive. you get the same. Yeah, they're so expensive. <laughs> so yeah, go to go to JB Hi-Fi or wherever your um, electronics sort of store is. Buy a three hundred and fifty dollar TV that's um, full HD, and you're ready to go. It's pretty much the same. Um, and then just slightly in front of those are a pair of Trident HG3s. They're a three-way monitor um, with a, I think that's a 10-inch cone, um, which yep. doesn't really work in this room. I just moved house and I'm in a three-by-three three room, which is not ideal. In fact, it's probably the worst possible <laughs> yeah, yeah, situation you could have a studio in. <laughs> um, so, yeah, if you can, uh, try and get a circular room or one that's, I think a friend of mine gave me the measurement for the perfect room, which was 13 by 10 by 2.7 or something like that. It's, it was like a really strange uh, thing, but it's massive. It's a massive room mm-hmm. um, with, it's obviously like what, what you see those million dollar studios with like wall mounted uh, speakers and like they're yeah. just embedded in the walls and all that sort of like they're floating and all this yeah weird stuff. Um, but yeah, that's, um, these these monitors are super clear, and I've I actually um, finished a remix the other day, and and I, in my opinion, it's it's probably the cleanest track that I've ever done um, by myself in terms of not getting someone else to mix it. So I was super happy with that, and I think I'll keep these monitors in here. But if a time comes where I feel like I need to get rid of them, then I'll just swap them out for some smaller ones. But um, 
yeah, just see what fits in your room for the producers out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in front of those, I've got my uh, studio interface. I've got a Crimson SPL. Uh, it's like a um, it's a pretty big interface, but it's got a couple of instrument inputs, um, mic inputs, all that sort of thing. Um, but the massive feature of that was having an AB, so you can switch between two different monitors and go from um, your uh, like the listing monitors to your reference monitors, like mm-hmm. a, a mix cube or something like that. Um, which I definitely plan on getting um, for like the back of the studio, so I can just switch to those if I'm in the mix stage and um, have a listen to how it sounds on those because they sound absolutely horrible. And if yeah, you can get yeah, yeah. if you can get a track to sound good on those, then you're in the clear. So. Yeah, that's cool. Um, and then I've got – what else have I got in here? I've got a Korg um, MS-20, um, which is a uh, – it's like a – I've got the MIDI version, but it's also an analog um, hardware keyboard that you can um, fiddle around with and pa- use patching and oscillation and all that sort of stuff, and it makes some really cool analog sounds. Um, so that's been great for a great learning tool in terms of synthesis. Um, I've got a Rode NS10. I've got two Rode NS10 microphones, um, that I use for recording vocals. Um, I can't sing very well, so (laughs) I usually do a lot of spoken word stuff. So that's, that's cool with those. Um, or I'll record like a tutorial on those. Um, they're really cheap actually. I think it was like 260 bucks each each microphone there. Yeah. Really clear and really, really nice condenser mic. Um, uh, and, uh, I've got four bass traps in here that are custom made with Kustazorb, um, and just a wooden frame and they sit sort of adjacent to where I'm sitting now. Um, I'm renting this place at the moment, so I can't really stick anything to the roof. Otherwise I probably would have made a diffuser by now, but there's a lovely, um, a lovely lamp shade, like light shade fitting with a lot of flowers on it from the original, people that were here so they're sort of act like they're wooden flowers that point <laughs> outwards from the lights really it's like a kid's room it, I, I imagine it would have been yeah, a, yeah. a kid's room and um yeah so that sort of acts as a, diffuser, a diffuser awesome. for the moment it just looks a bit weird yeah um and then behind on the back wall i've got a massive slab of um tontine uh like an acoustic of three sort of thing yeah, yeah um that i need to actually order more of because this room's got a lot of um reflection issues mm. so we're just going to deaden it up and uh, make it a really nice space to make music in rather than go for sort of acoustic accuracy yeah. um and then in front of those i've got another chair uh like a, a mic stand and a keyboard stand and uh, about five or six guitars yeah so, um, yeah, I've been collecting them lately to sort of decide on which ones to record with and which ones to take with me um, to gigs and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, yeah. yeah, I'm really looking forward to playing live. That'll be that'll be a real challenge, but it'll be really fun to do. So, when do you think you'll you'll start doing that? Uh, maybe six months. I reckon yeah, six yeah. months away. Doing doing a lot of lessons just to touch up my skills. For been sure. playing been playing for about eleven years now. So nice, um, nice. It's really getting into the the longest stretches of it. But yeah, just I got into a a lot of bad habits with my technique. So I'm just trying to force yeah. those out at the moment. And once they're done, then I'll be straight back into it. Fantastic, awesome. Um, right, are there any books or resources that have played a significant role? In your journey as a producer? Um, there's, I don't do a lot of reading. Um, 
can be but, a website, YouTube yeah, tutorial. Yeah, YouTube, a lot of YouTube um, tutorials. I remember watching heaps of Ryan NZ tutorials. Mm. Um, I'm not sure if you know Ryan. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, heaps of his tutorials really helped me um, in terms of like synthesis and I used to watch all these like massive tutorials and I think he did a tutorial on the Toulouse modern talking sound. That's and right, um, yeah. and that was like one of the first ever sounds I used in one of my tracks. So huh. he was like right off the right off the bat, he was like one of the um, guys that I used to watch um, in my YouTube tutorials. Uh, I'd suggest watching heaps and heaps of the um, CLA. I think I can't remember if it's Jack Joseph, uh, but the, the the guys that did Waves. Um, oh yeah, yeah. They they do a lot of tutorials on using uh, a lot of their stuffs in Pro Tools, but um, it all carries over into uh, what they're doing in the box with um, with JJP and all that sort of stuff. Um, but yeah, their like their Chris Lord Alg stuff is amazing and. Um, I swear by JJP and CLA. So, yeah, uh, waves waves is definitely worth the money if um, if you want to go down that alley. Absolutely agree with that. Yeah. And final question: uh, What's coming down the line with Sack Waters? What have you got um, coming up? So I've got, I reckon maybe twenty tracks. Um, yeah, twenty, wow. twenty. They're really stocking up now. <laughs> like so, two albums worth. Yeah, a lot of a lot of music. So there's uh, a few remixes. There's three or four remixes. Um, one of which I can't really. I can I can sort of. Yeah, all right, I'll, I'll just leave it. But um, they're, yeah, yeah, they're, yeah. they're for some pretty cool, um, pretty cool people. Uh, one of them's progressive, um, sort of one thirty stuff, uh, like the Tiger Lily remix. One Psytrance, the one that I just finished, which I was really happy with the mix with. Yep. Um, uh, there's one that was for a remix competition that ended a long time ago, but um, I was linked the uh, the vocal and the project by uh, a young producer in Melbourne, um, and I was like, man, this is amazing. We've got a collab on it. So that's that'll come out for free. I'm sure pretty soon. Awesome. Um, I've got one with my housemate for his last ever uh, Victor song. Um, so my one of my friends uh, who I taught ages and ages and ages ago, um, we're best friends now. We live together. Awesome. Um, and he's sort of gone on a different path with his music and he's doing quite well over there. So uh, as an ode to his old Melbourne um sort of side where we've got the last the last ever victor song coming out um pretty shortly so that'll be cool um and then uh there's a lot of experimental sort of there's a 126 track or 124 a lot of techno a lot of like weird sort of um like heavy techno sort of sounds around 128 i feel like i I need to go back to 128 and give that a shot so uh, maybe an EP with with all that stuff. I reckon I've got five or six tracks um, in that sort of style to come out. So uh, we'll see how that goes, and I'm I'm sure people will uh, will enjoy listening to those. Yeah, it's fantastic. Can't wait. Um, cool. Well, thanks for coming on, Zach. And before you go, do you have any last words of advice for the listeners? Um, just try and be as unique as possible. I know, I know it's easy to fall into a trap of making music like your idols and all that sort of stuff, but at the end of the day. Uh, if you want to be different, then you just you just have to find different ways to do things. There's there's so many people um, doing the same thing and trying to do the same thing um, with their music at the moment and their image and all that sort of stuff. So 
find your niche and stick with it. Love it. Awesome, awesome man.